You are listening to an RPA production, where people gather. Ladies and gentlemen, RPA is proud to present Aaron's Horror Show with Aaron Frail. This is Jason Witter, author, illustrator of Tiniest Vampire and Monsters Eating Ice Cream, and you are listening to Aaron's Horror Show. Welcome to Aaron's Horror Show. I'm your host, Aaron Frail. On Aaron's Horror Show, we're going to go ahead and read some horror fiction and talk about horror in all its forms, books, movies, you name it. If you want to go ahead and get a hold of the show, you can go ahead and contact Aaron's Horror Show at Gmail or Aaron Horror Show on Twitter or Aaron's Horror Show on Facebook. Thank you for listening and enjoy. Hi, this is Aaron's Horror Show with Aaron Frail. I'm going to go ahead and finish my interview with Orlando Eastwood on this episode. You don't want to miss it, so stay tuned. They gave those bases back to the uh, German government, and then the Germans uh, opened it up to the public. So that stuff closed down about 10 years ago around this time, back in, I think, 2008 was when they closed it. So uh, to kind of move move to a different topic here, uh, go ahead and tell me a little bit about Ghost House. I know you're working on it's a remake of an 80s Italian horror film. So tell me a little bit about that. Ghost House was originally made by Italian director Umberto Lenzi, uh, who sadly passed away last year. Hmm. Uh, it was an 80s horror film that was centered around a haunted house with a little girl who haunted it with her evil demonic doll. I serve as a producer, and I also did script supervising work on the script that was written by Mike Reeb and Jason Harlow. Uh, Dustin Ferguson is the director and main producer on the project. Uh, right now, uh, he's trying to get a little bit more funding, so he's trying to get everything ready for August. I'm not sure if it's going to be met or not, but... Paul T. Taylor, who played Penhead in the new Hellraiser Judgment, is on board to play the evil entity known as the Grim Reaper in the film. Oh, cool. Yeah, I've had several conversations with Paul on Facebook. He is a great guy all around, and I think uh, he'll be great as the Grim Reaper. He did a great job as uh, Penhead in Hellraiser Judgment, and even Doug Bradley was... uh, giving him some sort of acceptance that uh, Paul was sharing on uh, his Facebook page. So it was kind of cool to have Doug, you know, give Paul that sort of, you know, recognition for, you know, doing the character justice. Oh, for sure, for sure. Well, yeah, I mean, Pinhead is an iconic character, you know what I mean? Like, he's he's definitely one of, you know, it's like, a, it's like Freddy, you know? <laughs> oh, yeah. Because they did that other Hellraiser movie, I think, in... 2011, I think, I can't remember what it was called, and a lot of people did not like the guy who played Penhead in that one, but Paul really knocked it out of the park. He looks 
almost exactly like how Doug did back in the 80s with the original ones and then all the sequels that followed after that he did. Yeah. So that, yeah. That's really, really a great grab for the film. Um, oh, Justin yeah, no. was also talking about... Um, Orlando, you're you're cutting you you cut out a little bit there. Okay, uh, Dustin Ferguson, the director, he's also trying to get a. Uh, he was talking to special effects artist Joe Castro, who did uh, the effects for Wishmaster three and four, uh, to come on board and do effects for that as well. And then uh, Justin Apone, who did the score for Toolbox Murders two, uh, is probably going to be doing the music for the film as well. Um, there's been several talks with them on. Facebook and various other social media. Cool, cool. So, what, what, what? Give us a quick snapshot of Ghost House. What, what is the uh, kind of, you know, if you were, what's the elevator pitch, I guess, for it? What, like, what's it about? Well, basically, with you know, if if anybody's a fan of Italian horror, you know, if any of these movies get remade, you know, it, it's something that you want to try to be a part of. Uh, Ghost House was pitched to me. I was talking to Dustin around Christmas time, and when I had initially talked to him about it, I was potentially interested in probably nabbing up some of the international rights to it. Uh, that's what I was initially thinking about doing in the uh, beginning of the project. Uh, however, international rights were already taken with the uh, originating studio who made the original film. So I said, okay, we can uh, try to work something out where I'll throw in some cash on it and I'll invest and, you know, get a good investment deal out of it in the end. And I told him, you know, if I'm going to be a producer on it, I'm going to give you some money for it. You know, basically, I want to have a look at the script and, you know, make sure the script is a little tailored to everybody's likings, make sure that, you know, he's happy with it, I'm happy with it, and the two guys who wrote it are happy with it as well. Cool. Because that's one of the things, because I'm slowly getting into producing as well, and I want to make sure that, you know, if we're going to be making a movie and having somebody else come in and write it and direct it, we got to make sure that it is top-notch and, you know, ready to go when the cameras start rolling. And I think uh, Mike and Jason have done a great job with the scripts. Uh, Mike has been working with Dustin for quite some time. Um, he wrote Nemesis 5 for Dustin Ferguson. Nemesis was the uh, old 80s Albert Pion movies. And then um, Jason's a new up-and-coming guy. He... Uh, He's directed a few horror movies and he's writing as well. He's he's primarily writing, but uh, he's doing a good job on it. I was I was quite happy with uh, the script when I got it, and you know I didn't do much to it. Most of it's all still intact. So, you know, when you when you say happy, were you were you what was it was it chilling, scary, like like what did you did you get like kind of moved by it in a way? Well, you know, you want to try to keep the tone of the original, and I think that's something yeah. that Dustin wanted as well. So, okay. you know, we went back and forth. I watched the original and then compared, and, you know, there are a few slight changes, and that's always going to happen with remakes. But I think oh, the yeah, overall no, tone of the original is kind of still kept there, and I know Dustin is a big fan of uh, Umberto Lenzi's work, and he met with him a few times, I think a few months right up until he passed away. I think he died last October. But, yeah, he had been talking to Mr. Lindsay about trying to remake it for some time. You know, finally after his passing, he decided to go all in on it, and, you know, myself and a few others pitched in on it. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I, I remember uh, when I was with my band, we uh, – and, and this was kind of a odd thing, but we got permission from Ray Harryhausen. He, he did, like, you know, a lot of claymation and whatnot. 
yeah. uh, Clash of the Titans and whatnot. We, we got actually permission from him to use one of his films as a as a music video for one of our songs. Like, nice. And it was yeah, I know it was amazing. It was just like wow, I can't believe he just gave us permission to do that. You know, it's like it just it, akin to that moment in Wayne's World where. You know, Alice Cooper is like, hey, you want to hang with us? And they both jump down and they're like, we're not worthy, you know? Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, like, that's what I think about when you get permission like that. You're just like, wow, I, okay, cool. I got permission. We're doing this, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and Harryhausen was uh, inspired by uh, the original King Kong. Yeah, yeah. And that is that is that is one of my lifelong childhood favorite movies right there. I grew up on... You know, the original King Kong from 33, all the old school Godzillas, all the Japanese science fiction kaiju films and all that type of stuff. So, yeah, know, that, yeah. that stuff is all my uh, bread and butter right there. That, that's 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 what makes you you. That's your that's your inspiration there, you know? <laughs> oh, yeah. that Without a doubt, all the old school Japanese Godzilla films. So would you say that those films kind of influence what you're doing now? Oh yeah, definitely. Um, you know, it's not, I don't, I wish I had the money to just go out and start making, you know, giant monster movies. But, you know, you gotta start somewhere and, you know, save up and hopefully, you know, accumulate enough with the business that you're running to, you know, get to that point. But, uh, you know, basically with horror films, you know, there's a lot out there that were, uh, inspirations as well. Everybody loves, you know, Friday the 13th and Nightmare on Elm Street and all that stuff. So, you know, that, that was something that also inspired me as well. Uh, my first film I did was almost a uh, similar type of uh, Friday the 13th film. We had a character in a mask who was, you know, running around trying to get everybody. And we've got a uh, director's cut hopefully coming for that one, hopefully sometime next year. Um, one movie, because I, I have my own studio, um, we got the distribution rights for here in the United States for an old obscure horror movie that nobody has seen. It was a uh, 2001 horror film called Toaster, and with Toaster, uh, they took it to film festivals, and they toured it for about two years, from 2001 to 2003, and then ultimately it faded into obscurity. And I was lucky enough to come across the VHS tape of it one day while I was out and about with some family members, and I kept this tape in my possession. Uh, I tracked down the writer. His name is David Grant. And I talked to him on MySpace back when MySpace was still a thing about 10 years ago. And, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and tracked him down again on this amount of money, and you give me the U.S. rights for a license for, you know, a few years, and we'll renegotiate every time this license comes up to expire. So basically we talked about that, and we got that up and going. Uh, we did a small theatrical screening for that last year. Um, we're working on getting the DVD up and ready. Um, hey, Orlando, you, you cut out a little bit, uh, and, and so I think we're we're missing the first part of this. Uh, let's see, first part. Uh, did I talk about cutting the licensing deal? Yeah, uh, yeah, it was uh, right before cutting the licensing deal. Um, I tracked down David Grant on Facebook, and then back there in 2016, uh, you know, we sat down, talked back and forth, and, you know, laid out the deal for the contract to license it out to my studio. Uh, we did a small theatrical screening close towards the end of 2017. 
Uh, we played at a theater out in Columbus, Ohio, and then we're working on getting translations made for subtitle tracks. So hopefully here in the next month or two, after we get all the subtitle translations paid off, we can uh, start putting it out on DVD. Um, hopefully around the same time we get the Bigfoot documentary ready to go. Cool, cool, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, I, I kind of want to go back to the uh... – the you know Godzilla movies for a second there. I, I I really have to ask you since you're a big fan of the originals. Like like what what do you yeah. think about like like you know the remakes that are coming out? Like you know like the Matthew Bodrick you know <laughs> Godzilla that came out. What what do you think about those? Well, considering I was a child when that one came out, I was eight years old in '98. Um, you know, as a child, I loved it. You know, it, mm. it, there's there's a lot of things that's wrong with it. Yeah. But at the same time, you know, it's a giant monster running around and tearing up New York. I mean, you can't really find that bad out of it. But then again, you know, it's supposed to be Godzilla, and it's not necessarily, you know, the iconic Godzilla that we know and love. Like, there's yeah, a big difference yeah. between the 98 and the 2014 Godzilla where, you know, he looks – the 2014 Godzilla looks like a Godzilla should look. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then – you know, the thing is now with CGI and how with Shin Godzilla, we got in, you know, our first Japanese CGI Godzilla. It, it looked amazing. Like, when it's the second form that's the little baby running around tearing up Tokyo, it is one of the craziest things I think I've ever seen in a Godzilla movie. Say goodbye your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. What about what about the uh, Cloverfield uh, franchise? What do you think about that? It, it, Cloverfield's another one that, and I wish, and I can I can go on for hours about this type of thing. I, I think uh, Paramount made a bad decision taking the third one to Netflix. I think if you're wanting okay. to judge a movie on its merits, because essentially, you know, you're, you're everybody loved the, the first that- one. That's in space, right? The the clover field in space, basically. <laughs> yeah. Like, everybody loved the first one, and the second one, you know, blew it away by going a different direction with, you know, them locked down in the, uh, in the cellar, you know, yeah. trying to, you know, survive this alien apocalypse. And then, you know, at the end, you know, when you have that alien chasing after uh, Mary Elizabeth Weinstead's character, it's like, oh, and then... You know, when you see the spaceship at the end, it's like, you know, it, it really started to take it off in a different direction where, you know, Cloverfield Paradox, you know, tied it nicely together. But yeah, then, yeah. you know, they just dropped it straight to Netflix, and it's kind of like, I wanted to watch that on the big screen. That, that yeah. was something that should have been, you know, on a big screen and not on some compressed quality based on your internet broadband stream on Netflix. Yeah, no, I I know what you mean. I I you know, I totally would have missed Cloverfield Paradox if it wasn't for a coworker of mine just saying, 
hey, man, did you see the third Cloverfield movie? And I'm like, there's a third one, you know? <laughs> and and so it's like, like that's, you know, I totally would have missed it if it wasn't for somebody, like, saying, hey, go check this one out. It kind of ties everything together and explains, you know, how they came to be. And I was like, oh, okay, <laughs> I'll go check it out. Oh, yeah. It, I think, you know, it wasn't as great, but it was still enjoyable for what it was. And, you know, a lot of people, you know, these critics will tear into something. But, you know, if you, like, you sit back and you just watch it, you'll have a lot more enjoyment out of it as opposed to, like, if you're going in just to nitpick. And yeah, that's, yeah. that's something, you know, a lot of days that, you know, generally happens. They're like, oh, well, this movie was horrible or, you know, don't waste your time or that type of thing. But, you know, they talk about, like, oh, the 98 Godzilla, for example. You know, everybody tears into it. But it's like if you actually sit down and, you know, just enjoy it for, you know, a giant monster that's tearing through. I mean, it's very similar to, like, uh, the second Jurassic Park movie, wherein, mm-hmm, you know, the second yeah. Jurassic Park movie, the T-Rex is, you know, terrorizing Los Angeles. Yeah, yeah, the 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 Lost World, I believe. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, I, yeah, no, I, it, it, it's interesting because I, I do enjoy myself Godzilla movies, but I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm going to freely admit here that I'm more familiar with Godzilla because of Mystery Science Theater 3000, you know? <laughs> Yeah, I've got those episodes lying around somewhere on an old VHS tape. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I, I, you know, they had a 30 hours of Mystery Science Theater 3000 on Thanksgiving, and God, I was the nerd that said, you know what, I'm going to do all 30. Let's see. (laughs) You know? (laughs) But, uh, yeah, you know, I, oh, yeah, no, go on. (laughs) uh, Yeah, like, due to the rights issues, like, they can't even play those ones anymore. It's like, you got to track down those old, you know, umpteenth generation VHS copies off some collector somewhere that, you know, has them, that's duplicating them. Oh, yeah, I know, I know. It's kind of sad, really. I, uh, I, you know, I, I have a friend who, who, you know, kind of ignores that, that copyright, uh, <laughs> part of it, and he, uh, he has a lot of the, the stuff downloaded, and, and one of the things that that I found was really interesting was the uh, the Mystery Science Theater 3000 cable access season when uh, before it got to Comedy Central and and they were just yeah. doing it on the on a local like Minnesota cable access station and and I thought there, it, it was really interesting to see that like initial like like season of it because like crow and tom serval you know they were they were made of the items that they look like they're made of when you when you see the series you know like 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 tom servo actually has like a gumball machine as a head you know <laughs> yeah and but, you know uh, it's like you look at something like mystery science theater 3000 and with you know this this coming in digital age you know like they're one of the first you know a lot of people, you know, back when VHS was a new thing, you know, they were shooting movies on VHS, and, you know, it was it was still time-consuming because you had to go through and you had to learn how to edit and all that type of stuff. But now with digital, it's just, you know, simple. Pop it into the USB in the computer, copy the data over in, like, two seconds, and then, boom, you're ready to go. And, you know, when you look back at VHS and comparing it to film, back when people still use cellular to shoot movies, you know, it's it's, it's really, like two different paths that converge at this point with the digital revolution that happened within like the past five, 10 years. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I think that's really interesting because I think, 
you know, like one of the things that I've always thought is that, you know, a, a something like the X-Files, for example, I don't think it's going to – it would work in today's society. And, and the only reason I think that is, like, I most they did people didn't have – They did. They, they did. They, but I haven't gotten around to seeing them yet to see how they compare. Because I think when it, when it went off the air, I think that was, what, 2002, 2003, somewhere around there? Yeah, yeah. I – I am really sad to admit this because I I really love the X Files and even after David Duchovny left I I still loved the X Files like even when their like series finale kind of was was bad I still stuck with them but man these new seasons I I yeah they're <laughs> they're they they are they are pretty painful to watch like like I I feel the 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 show has kind of become a a caricature of what it once was in the in the sense that uh it it doesn't necessarily work in in our day and age in in the sense that you know if if someone sees a ufo over a major city you know there's going to be like a million cell phone cameras out there filming it you oh, know? Yeah. oh <laughs> Where, yeah whereas yeah, yeah, back in the 90s, like, you could kind of believe, oh, yeah, there's people being taken in major cities from, you know what I mean? So I think there's something to be said for, you know, how times have changed in between when the X-Files first came on and, and when it's on now. So, yeah, no, I I'm, I'm I, I like it, but I, I will stick with it. I will watch <laughs> any continued X-Files, but it's definitely not, not the show that I, I loved when I was young, you know? Yeah, um, the second movie, the the two movies that they made, uh, with yeah. the second one deviating away from aliens and it being like the abduction with, you know, were taken, what they, what they were doing in the second one, they were taking heads off and doing head transplants or something like that in the second one. I can't remember yeah. exactly, it's been a while. Yeah, it's hard, I kind of, there was a, just remember that scene where they're all on like a frozen lake or something, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That one they kind of uh, blundered on that one. Yeah, no, they definitely blundered on that one, and 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 yeah, the the new the new series I feel is is, is a blunder too. I, I just you know it's a it's a little bit of a caricature, and I feel both David Duchovny and Gillian Anderson are just going through the motions. I kind of. I kind of akin to, uh, I, you know, I, I'm a big Doctor Who fan, and uh, David Tennant, my favorite Doctor Who ever, but his last few episodes where he did these kind of long two-hour episodes, I felt like he was just going through the motions at that point. Like, he had already quit the series, but, uh, you know, they had, he had signed on for a couple more episodes, so they decided to, <laughs> you know, just film them anyways, and yeah, it, it it has that feeling where where just people are not into it as they once were, you know. Yeah, I think Gillian Anderson even said lately, uh, not too long ago, that she was done with it. But I'm not sure if you know if that's going to be true, or if you know she signed some contracts where it's like, oh hey, you know you're still you're still with us for like another two seasons, so I'll buckle down. Yeah, yeah, no, I know what you mean. You never know. You never know what what contract they sign going into it. I mean, I know because my my wife is really big into like British period dramas, and and Gillian Anderson actually had a a second 
career, as it were, as a, a British period actor, you know? <laughs> uh, strangely enough, you know, like, think of your Jane Austen type, you know, <laughs> stuff. And uh, Oh, yeah, you know, it, I, I forget. Um, she was doing some movie. I can't remember which movie it was. I, I want to say it was one of the Johnny English movies that she was in with uh, Rowan Atkinson. Oh, yeah. yeah. You hear that... Uh, you hear that English accent on her, and it's like it is jarring to hear after watching like X Files for like, <laughs> yes. so many years. Yes. <laughs> when that comes out, it is like it is just like eye opening. Like, oh. Yeah, yeah. No, I I know what you mean. It's it's funny hearing it. it, it like like I I think of it as the the woman who uh, plays the. Uh, I, I zombie main character Liv Moore. I, I forget her name, but I you know she's from New Zealand, and uh, you know like like I, I I see her and hear her as like an American uh, <laughs> you know person from Seattle, but her her you know natural tongue of course is is from New Zealand, and and she's so good at doing an American accent that you just don't know that she's doing an accent, you know. <laughs> Oh yeah, they they do it all the time. It's like with uh, Spider Man. You're the kid who plays Spider Man, and that English accent comes on. And it's like holy cow. Mm-hmm. And then um, Christian Bale as well. You'll hear that English accent come out sometimes, and it's like he goes from like playing someone like Patrick Bateman in American Psycho or John Connor in Terminator Salvation, and then you'll just hear him talk, and you know you hear that English accent kick in, and it's like. He was a good actor. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, no, totally. When they can convince you that they're a native speaker of whatever accent they're doing, you know they're good. You know, when oh, you yeah. think like, oh yeah, that's what they normally sound like in real life, and you're just like, oh man, they're so good that they they got me thinking the other way. You know? <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> cool. Well, it looks like we're getting close to running out of time here, and I, I want to leave you some time to kind of plug everything and let your listeners or let my listeners know like what you're doing you know like 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 I want them to be able to find the documentary and the film and everything so you know and follow you if they need to so you know go ahead and, and take the rest of the time here to, to go ahead and plug anything you want uh, any links you want to share Twitter, Facebook, uh, websites you know just go ahead and, and, and let the listeners know where they can find you uh, you can find me on YouTube, uh, Orlando Eastwood Films, from my studio. Uh, we have our official website at orlandoeastwoodfilms.com. Um, I am on Twitter myself. Uh, you can find me at uh, official SF Twitch. And then uh, that's pretty much it. Cool. Awesome. Well, great. Well, thank you so much for uh, coming on the show. I'm, I'm glad that you are you are here. We're we're going to go ahead and uh, get your episode out here. And if you don't mind, uh, just go ahead and hang on the line. All right. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Thank you for coming. All right. That was Orlando Eastwood. Hey, Orlando. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. You are welcome back anytime. All right, Real Paranormal Activity is on Mondays, I'm on Tuesdays, Terry's Mysterious Moments is on Wednesdays, and of course the Sandman's Lullaby comes to a podcast station near you. Thank you, and good night. <laughs>